Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficacelli. Hi, and thanks for joining us here on Answering the Call on AM820 on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficacelli. And this is a program where we get to meet some of the priests and the deacons and the religious sisters and brothers who serve our diocese to listen in on how they heard God calling them to their current vocation. And my guest today says he's always had the sense that he's been called by God for something, but he didn't know exactly what it was until his current vocation. He's Deacon Dean Racine. He serves as deacon at St. Elizabeth's in Columbus, and he's also the parish administrator at St. Paul's in Westerville. So welcome, Deacon Racine, to AMA 20. Thank you, Elizabeth. Good to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. Now, Deacon, your Catholic faith, it's been a part of your identity really from the beginning, and it sounds like you had some pretty good examples uh, of faith set by your grandmother, your mother, and your father. Uh, yes. I, I think we had what I would think is a pretty typical uh, Catholic upbringing. Uh, both my parents were Catholic from from the time they were born. Uh, when we grew up, we were in Maslin, Ohio, which is a small town in northeastern Ohio. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother lived with us. So we had four four of us kids, uh, two parents and a grandmother in a, in a small house. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do remember that my dad, uh, he grew up as the oldest in an Italian family out of western Pennsylvania. And his parents died when he was in his early 20s. And from there, he took the responsibility of making sure all the others got out on their own and were set before he went on uh, for his education. He was in World War II and had some, uh, saw some pretty heavy fighting in the South Pacific. And I think that had a profound effect on his life, and I know it did on his religion. Uh, he was always a, what I thought a very prayerful man, although he would not tell you that he was that religious. But I could see it in in the way he prayed at Mass mm-hmm. uh, every week. My mother, on the other hand, uh, was brought up in an Irish Catholic family in Cleveland, uh, probably a little more well-off than my father was, just two of them. Uh, she, though, went to all-Catholic girls' school uh very strong Catholic faith. And I remember as we grew up, she was always up at five in the morning and she she really valued that time that she had uh, because that was her prayer time. And she would get me up at six and start getting the rest of the kids up for school. But uh, that was very important to her. Uh, but probably the one that formed my prayer life more than anything was my grandmother. Uh, she would be in her room every afternoon for at least an hour. We'd know that she was praying because she had the door door closed. But she had a crucifix in her room, I remember, and she had this statue of the infant Jesus on her dresser, and next to her chair was her Bible and her prayer book, and it was pretty ratty and torn. (laughs) But uh, I didn't really learn what to pray, but I knew I needed to pray because... Because I saw that every day. Wonderful examples were all around you praying. And, 
yeah, that great model of prayer for you. And then you also had service to the church was modeled for you also by your parents. Yeah, I realize that now. We didn't really then. Mm-hmm. We I was just part of They were doing it for the for the kids. But uh, but my father was very involved with the uh, PTA, the Holy Name Society. He did a lot of work when the church uh, came up for renovation. We had a beautiful church where I grew up. The Germans built it well over 100 years ago. It was a... Mm. It was a grand old church. It had a 4,000-pipe organ in it, and wow. um, it was famous for its men and boys choir, and I was uh, privileged to be a part of that for four years when I was uh, a student there. Um, but Dad was very involved in all of that. Because of that, there were a lot of meetings at the house, so the, the priests would be over, other people on the committees, so we got familiar with being around priests. Uh, my mother was also involved with... Uh, PTA with room mothers with the hot meals once a week that we'd have and she was always around for, with four children going through school so it just seemed like they was she was there all the time and you kind of modeled that too serving because you were serving on the altar and your uh, pastor had a nickname for you uh, yes Monsignor used to used to call me the Pope the Pope and <laughs> I'm not quite sure why but uh but that's how he'd call the house and say, hey, is the Pope there? We have a funeral tomorrow or something like that because we were older servers. So, Well, he knew. It sounds like up. he knew he could count on you guys because your family was very involved. And so yeah, we were involved. Someone. So we were kind of the – we were one of the go-to folks when they needed someone to serve a wedding or a funeral, something like that. Or And that pastor of your parish would, as you said, become a friend because you know, he was over at the house and stuff. And he would actually become one of a few priests in your life that would become a special friend to you on your spiritual journey. Yes. Uh, it, it always seemed that I had a priest friend along the way. So in grade school, it was it was Monsignor. In high school, there was a girl that I was dating, and her family had a close friend that was a priest, and his name was Father Jim. And he was younger, and I just remember we'd get into a lot of discussions about the faith and uh, other current topics that would pop up in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the time with him. So when I was away at school, if I'd come back, there'd be times we'd grab dinner or something just to touch base and have a discussion. And so. did, did hanging around these priests ever inspire you to think about priesthood at any point in your life? Uh Yes, it did. In fact, the the running joke in the family is that uh, every time Dean wanted to break up with a girl, he'd say that he felt that he was being called a priest. <laughs> I, I don't line, think huh? that's necessarily <laughs> true, but anyway. Uh, but I did think about it, uh, and as I was getting into my late teens, early 20s, uh, and going to college and everything, it I just knew it, it probably wasn't the priesthood. Mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, – I, I couldn't see myself not married and uh, having a family. Okay. So, so that calling was there but not for the priesthood. Um, so what were your plans uh, for your life after high school? What were you thinking about doing next? Well, I went to college at Miami in Ohio, of Ohio, and I received a degree there in microbiology. Uh, from there, I took a role as a sales rep – for a chemical firm, 
because you needed to have the science background to get in that field. And I was a rep in, in upstate New York. Now, when you were in um, college and then in, in your beginning of your career and everything, you're out of the house now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you stay connected with your faith? Did, you, did that ever get on the back burner in your life like it does with so many people? I'd have to say that to a degree in college, uh, I probably wasn't as religious at going to Mass every single week when I was a freshman and sophomore. But I think as I got into my junior year and especially my senior year, uh, I was back. We had a Newman Center. Uh, my fraternity house was literally in the backyard of the church, so it was pretty hard to find an <laughs> excuse not to go to Mass on, on Sunday. Uh, but I know as I moved out and graduated and got uh, out on my own in New York and it was different to me, I knew nobody. Uh, I did. I had a church half a mile down the road and uh, – so it was that was important there. to me. So it was always there. And again, I met the priest there. He was a young, newly assigned priest. So he was starting a young adult group, etc. So I became part of that. Now, you'd also meet your future wife, Robin, when you were in New York. Was she Catholic? Uh, no, she wasn't. Uh, yeah, I met Robin when I was in New York. She's Methodist, mm-hmm. uh, came from a very solid family, very solid in their faith. Uh, she attended attended church regular when we started dating we would go to the methodist church and then go to the catholic mass okay uh, so it wasn't Sundays. a problem between the two of you to have two different faiths at that point no not really i we knew we were both christian uh so we both shared probably most most every principle and uh dogma uh with the exception of a few so we'd go to Mass uh, and church together, and we continued that even after we were married. In fact, uh, when we were married, we were married in the Catholic Church with a Methodist minister and a Catholic priest there. We'd gotten disp- dispensation from the bishop. And the morning before the wedding, uh, since it wasn't a Mass, we went to Mass together. So, And she would eventually enter RCIA. She made she that decision then to she become She made Catholic. that on her own. Uh, about a year after we were married, and uh, I went through it with her, and it was great because I hadn't had any catechesis since I was in high school. So mm-hmm. it was nice to go through RCIA and uh, uh, remember a lot of the things I knew and then pick up a lot of new things that I thought I knew. I always say it's a great thing for every Catholic to go through as a sponsor to be to go through that RCIA program. We're talking with Deacon Dean Racine. He's the deacon at St. Elizabeth's in Columbus and the parish administrator at St. Paul's in Westerville. And you're listening to Answering the Call here on AM820. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. So, Deacon Racine, you took a job with um, Nationwide Insurance next, and then that would result in moving you and your wife and eventually your two daughters to several different locations. You were in Cincinnati, you were in Denver, Columbus, Lexington, and then back to Columbus again in 1998. So talk a little bit about some of the ways that you and Robin emulated your own parents in becoming active members of your uh, various parishes. Well, as we started out, I, I believe it was in Cincinnati when we started that I became a lector. Uh, Robin was more involved in service items. She didn't feel comfortable being up on the altar and speaking. Mm-hmm. However, Eventually, she became a Eucharistic minister, and she's been doing that for for decades now in in various different places. Uh, There were times as we moved that the girls couldn't get into the Catholic schools because they were Mm waitlisted, 
And when we had those years come up, Robin would teach uh, either CCD, PSR, whatever we call it, for one of the daughters, and I would teach for the other. That because it always gave us a track to run on to keep them up to speed on their on their Catholic faith as we went through. If eventually, they would get into uh, into the Catholic schools, though. And you know, I find it interesting that in all the different parishes that you attended, and it sounds like you were active members of serving at. Um, you didn't experience a deacon until the second time you were in Columbus. That's right. Uh, I never saw a deacon. So I'm part of that group that grew up in grade school, pre-Second Vatican, mm-hmm. the old Baltimore Catechism, mm-hmm. and then in high school was Vatican II. Um, so the restoration of the permanent diaconate didn't even happen uh, in a lot of my growing up and and probably was so new in a lot of our moves that we'd never seen one. So it wasn't until we got to Columbus that second time. So talk about that. When when was your first experience with a deacon? The first that I remember is at St. Elizabeth, uh, and we had two deacons there, uh, Frank McDivitt and um, John Rerica. And I remember them uh, preaching. They both had different styles. They both brought real-world examples into it from from their work, from their family, talking about the kids. And I thought, uh, that's kind of different. Because uh, the priest, naturally, they can they can talk to that to their childhood, but it it's not real-time now. Right. And did seeing these men serve as deacons cause any bells to go off in your head that maybe this is where I'm called? You know, they really didn't. I, I think it was interesting just to find out, okay, so okay, so that's a deacon, and, and uh, they have permanent deacons now, but it really didn't make anything go off. I didn't, I'd felt that calling for a long time, but that didn't seem to be it. So how did God get your attention then to say, this is where I'm calling you? <laughs> well, we had a an invitation to dinner from our pastor, Charlie Cotton, and we didn't know Father Charlie that well. Uh, we didn't even think he knew who we were, but he invited my wife and I over to dinner one night. So we didn't even give it a lot of thought because we were pretty busy around that time. And finally on the drive over, Robin's saying, you know, what's this all about? Do you have any idea? And I said, you know, I said, I think it's got to be one of two things. Either they're getting ready to do a capital campaign and he wants us to lead it, <laughs> or he's going to ask if I ever thought of being a deacon. And we get over there. He makes dinner for us in the rectory. We sit there. We have a a great meal, good time. We're talking for two hours. And then finally he says, well, I guess you want to know why I asked you to come over. About 10 o'clock at night, we're like, yeah, that'd be a good thing. <laughs> and he said, well, have you ever thought about being a deacon? And that's how it, that's how it started. And if you know... Charlie Cotton, he's pretty direct. So he's been on the program. So, um, um, so, so that was the the invitation for you to consider this. Now, there's typically a lot of legit, legitimate concerns um, when making a big commitment like this. What were what was particularly challenging for you and Robin about the idea of you becoming a deacon? What were you guys concerned about? Our days were just filled at that time. Uh, I mean, I was working. At Nationwide, I was traveling quite a bit at the time. We had 
daughter in high school and another one in junior high. And they were very busy. And then you got everything with the dating and with the driving and mm-hmm. all that happening. So we're just time was a big thing. Uh, Robin's concern, I know, was, well, your time is minimal now. How are you going to fit this in? Um, I think as we went on and found out more about it, some of the concern was just that she didn't want to be alone in the pew yeah, on which Sundays. Is, which is a valid um, concern. Because uh-huh. we'd... I mean, we've been going to to mass together for 33 years, so uh, those were some of the concerns. What about um, you with work? Because you had retirement kind of in your future eventually, and, you know, did you have any thoughts about how would that affect retirement? We did because I felt that becoming a deacon – you're ordained uh, to the church and, and to a specific bishop. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense to go through the training, uh, all the schooling, have them pay for it, and then say, I've retired, bye, I'm out of here, we're moving to Florida, right. South Carolina, <laughs> wherever wherever you'd go. So, so for us, becoming a deacon lent some permanency to where we were going to be for a while. Right, which you and, hadn't had for a lot of years. You had moved around so much. Yeah, we'd much. moved around. This is the longest we've lived anywhere. So, yeah. uh, But we were committed to be here at least until the girls got out of high school. Mm-hmm. And we just hadn't thought about where we might want to go afterwards. I mean, we had a little bit, but not really a lot of serious discussion. So that had to come up and say, if we do this, we're going to be permanent for a while. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot to pray about with the husband and wife when when the husband's considering this diaconate. And you did then come to a point where the two of you decided at least you would pursue the prerequisite college courses, Mm -hmm. and you took those up at the Josephinum, and some of those you took together. Yes, yes. Uh, I think about half of the prereqs we took together, but then what was more fruitful and beneficial for us was Robin was at all the diaconal classes. I mean, she was, the wives were more than welcome. Uh, She had the ability and the opportunity to be there. So she was at every class all the way through three years of schooling up there. Yeah, which is is neat because um, you've had a lot of deacons on the show and and it really depends on, you know, what stage of life they're in, their wives, some of them have careers. And, you know, so you have everything from my wife, was able to be very involved with all that and to she wasn't able to do anything of that because she had the career, she had the kids at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was nice because um, it really seems in your story that you and Robin have been a real team from the beginning in your discernment and, and in her coming into the church. And then together you worked um, with teaching PSR and CCD, a lot of, mm-hmm. lot of couple ministries that, that you've done. So it almost seems like a fitting thing that you get into the diaconal program and, and do that also as a team and that she was able to attend all those things. And she uh, had had a little help with you because she has an English background and was able to help you a little bit huh, in, in some of your homiletics classes. Or Well, she's the biggest critic and <laughs> editor. So, yes, she did a good – she did a great job with that. She, um, yeah, she has a solid, solid background in English grammar, et cetera. So when it comes to editing, she and – when she, and when it comes to practicality and saying, you know – that makes no sense. You got to <laughs> got to redo that. Uh, she's right there. <laughs> do you think um, your parents? I was thinking about with your parents and how involved they had been in the church. 
Do you think they realized how much of an influence they were in your discerning a call to the diaconate to serve the church in that way, just through their own example of service? It's an interesting question, Elizabeth. I I don't know that. I I think my mom probably appreciates that now. Uh, My grandmother had passed beforehand, and my my father had passed away while I was actually in – diaconal formation so okay so he lived long enough to see that you would you know, yeah that you were he was there this. for the first uh yes first few rites and i'm sure um so your mom was there for your ordination she was and i'm sure she must have been very proud to very see nice. to see you go through that program uh you were ordained in 2008 so that was six years ago do you remember anything special about your ordination day you know there's so many years of formation that goes into that day and then there you are ordained with the bishop and i don't know you had other um deacons also mm-hmm. at the same time. Do you remember any highlights from that particular um, ceremony? Ceremony. Well, it's uh, one of the highlights is always laying prostrate on the on the floor and, and having the litany sung. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that'll always stay with me. But I think for me the 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 day before was interesting because our daughters had put together an album of the whole journey through the diaconal formation. So oh. they had somehow gotten a hold of all the letters, all the invites, all the pictures and things at formation weekends, wow. classes, uh, and they put it together in a big album, and they gave it to me the night before, and uh, that sits on our coffee table today. Oh, what a beautiful so. keepsake that is. And so it's been six years that you've been mm-hmm. in this role um, is it starting to feel, you know, more comfortable to you now, past the break-in break in period, as, as Deacon Frank Anarino sometimes refers mm-hmm. to? Yeah, Frank used to tell us that it's going to take you three or four years till you even feel comfortable. And I think we're there, but I think that's, that's also a danger point. I, I don't think we ever want to get comfortable. Uh, if you don't go up with, with some butterflies and with some understanding of of who and what you represent to the to the people uh, that could be a problem. Mm, yeah, so. I would I would agree to that. And what you know, Deacon, um, what what are some of your highlights of, of being a deacon? Your favorite parts about being a deacon? I really enjoy the preaching, the homilies, uh, and I really enjoy the the preparation with uh, couples that are getting married. I think the homilies. I've 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 done public speaking in the past, so that wasn't a problem. But for me, the research is prayer. I, I try to put a lot of time into understanding the readings and what they're about, and do a lot of commentary, research, etc. And I find that that's just very prayerful and meaningful for my own uh, faith life. As far as dealing with young couples, it it keeps you. It keeps you young. It keeps you understanding what their issues are, what's happening in a changing world, and yet you still have these values that have been around for thousands of years that uh, you're trying to discuss with them and have them make decisions about their mm-hmm. own life in advance. So those are probably some of the highlights. And, you know, sometimes I ask the deacons, you know, who have had the, the careers and, and they're now in the service of the church, has has your career, for instance, with Nationwide helped you in your role as, or as deacon or, or vice versa? Do you see an overlap in there? Oh, I think the career with Nationwide absolutely helped. Uh, the variety of jobs that were done, the variety of people that you meet, 
the different areas of the country that you're in, uh, the different challenges when you have changes of administration, uh, changes of direction, uh, the the opportunity to speak, to have to have some training, to take some of these instruments that help you understand yourself and how you relate and how others relate to you. All of that's been extremely beneficial. That's great. So, and I'm sure as a deacon, you've sat on the other side of the table talking with maybe men who have come up and, and told you, I feel called to do something for the church. I'm, I'm not sure what. I'm not sure if that means being a deacon. So what kind of advice do you have for men like this? It's interesting you say that because there are some people that I've been talking to. The first thing I ask them to do is talk to some other deacons to try to understand exactly what they do. I don't think people understand what it what the process is or what it takes. But at the same time, from the beginning, they've got to be talking with their spouse. Uh, uh, the reason to talk to the deacon is so that you can talk intelligently with your spouse about what it's going to take, what the <laughs> commitment is. I remember when uh, when Father Charlie had, talked, had, had made the ask, the next thing he did was he put me in touch with a deacon and his wife, and they invited us out to dinner, and we spent a few hours out at dinner one night just pounding them with questions. Yeah. So I think those are the first two things you've got to do uh, is talk to other deacons and talk to your spouse, get an understanding. Then after that, you've got to get to your pastor because you don't go anywhere without the pastor's blessing. And, you know, uh, we're, we're winding down our last minute and all, but, um, you know, I think that uh, sometimes people want to serve the church, but there's so many ways to serve the church, you know, and, and maybe this person like you, you were being called since your early life, and God finally led you to what this was. And um, But, you know, sometimes people are called to other ways to serve the church. And how do you discern that for these people asking you that question? The only advice that I can give is to, is to pray. And when, when we talk about pray, I just remind them that prayer is communication, and communication is two ways. So it's probably better to listen a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> And just read the signs around you. It'll it'll happen. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Deacon Dean Racine, for joining us today. And if you would leave us with your blessing. Dear God, you're the creator of the universe. You sent your son to redeem the world and your spirit to bring life and love to the world. Watch over your people. Grant that your words may settle on their ears and they follow in the direction you want. We ask you to peace bless us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Deacon Dean Racine, for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Ficicelli, host for Answering the Call, here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Join us on Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230 for another episode. Have a wonderful week. God bless. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficacelli are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then-